0: This episode is the first of an insightful two-part interview with Jaspreet Singh. I hope you enjoy.
1: Are you ready to start living richer? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Live Richer podcast hosted by Jamie Catmull, a podcast created for people to challenge and manage their ideas of wealth, culture, and money across the world. Bringing you the best personal finance advice to make more, save more, and live richer. Now, here's your host, Jamie Catmull.
0: Hi, everyone. Today, we are lucky enough to have Jaspreet Singh with us from the Minority Mindset. He's making waves on YouTube and helping people to make money. Get into real estate, do Bitcoin, you name it. This guy knows everything when it comes to finance, and he's helping millions of people to get a hold of the finances and to make money. And even heard you say on one of your YouTube videos, quit their job and make enough money <laughs> to be able to live off their investments. So I'm going to probably touch base with that today and talk about that and talk about other things that are going on from inflation to the housing market. And then just finding out a little bit more about you, Jaspreet, like I heard that when you were 19, you first you owned your first real estate property. You started multiple businesses when you were in college. And I can't help but wonder how did that happen? I mean, what made you want to go do that? Was it your dad, your mom? What about your upbringing? I mean, what made you so hungry and so confident to be able to make those types of choices?
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you. I grew up in a very traditional Indian household. My parents came to this country with very little. My parents are immigrants from a state in India called Punjab. My dad came to this country with less than 100 bucks. So he had to hustle. I didn't get to see my parents a lot when I was a kid. Uh, because they were always working my dad would always tell me that there's no such thing as a sick day because if you take a sick day you're not working if you're not working you're not getting paid if you're not getting paid you don't have money to eat so i always saw that that hustle like from a very young age and uh when you come from that type of background you want your kids to become successful and you know our parents didn't grow up with any sort of financial education So in their minds, successful meant you must study hard in school, get good grades, and get a good job. Because if you get a good job, you make a bigger salary. If you make a bigger salary, you'll be able to save a whole bunch of money. And that's how you become wealthy in my parents' eyes, or at least that's what they thought. So I was following that route for a while, but I knew something was wrong. I I knew something was broken. Like I was never poor. I was never worried about how we were going to get our next meal, but I saw how hard my parents were working. So I wanted to have something bigger. But <clears throat> in most traditional Indian houses, kids have the option to do one thing. You either become a doctor or you become an engineer or a lawyer. In my house, it was different. I had two options. I could either be a doctor or I could be a failure. And <laughs> it sounds Whoa. funny, but... but. um When I was in middle school, I was struggling in English because uh, English was my second language. And I was on the verge of, uh, I got a D plus in one of my English classes. So my parents decided to get me a tutor. But it wasn't a tutor for the English class that I was on the verge of failing. It was a tutor to help me get into medical school. I was a tutor for the medical college admission test, the test that you take towards the end of your college career to get into medical school. So here I am, 12 years old in middle school, struggling in English, and my parents are like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you get into medical school. So they got me a tutor. So that's how serious it was for me to go and do this kind of traditional path. But I wanted to do something different. And the whole idea of entrepreneurship was not supported or kind of agreed upon in my house. So anytime I started doing these entrepreneurial ventures, I had to do it in secret because these were things that my parents did not approve of. So when I was in high school, I started working at weddings. Um, I got to know a lot of the DJs and we had this idea to start hosting teen parties when I was in high school. So my junior year in high school, I started hosting these teen parties and you know my parents didn't really know what I was doing. I was doing this, uh, with on the side for fun with my friends. And now I was like, you know, this is just a hobby because once I go to college, then I got to get serious about studying. I got to get serious about becoming a doctor and I got to get my life in order because I, I wanted to become successful. I wanted to take care of my parents. I wanted to give back to them because I saw how hard that they worked. So now i go to college and I don't know what to expect. I thought that people go to college to study. They spend their Friday evenings in the chemistry lab doing reactions. And I come to college, and i see everybody everybody blowing their money that they don't have on parties and i was like you gotta be kidding me i mean i was i was mind blown to see how many people were partying in college now i was like okay what do i do because i don't really drink I, i mean i never drank i don't drink i don't really party and i need something to do on friday nights so here i am a freshman in college and i was like why don't i take this teen party business that I was hosting in high school and taking to college. So I started knocking on the doors of every club, venue, bar, restaurant on campus, asking them if I could host a party there. And some of them would say something along the lines of, sure, just pay us $10,000. Now I was 17 when I came into college, so I did not have $10,000. So that didn't work. But then some uh, venues would say, sure, just give us half of the revenue that you generate from cover. And so now I was in business. And so I went to college, I started hosting this, uh, hosting parties, and this grew into an event planning company where I was hosting parties, concerts, and shows, and we were in contract with some of the biggest venues, biggest clubs on campus to host their college nights every single week. And this was, again, all in secret. So I was living two lives, my entrepreneurial life, and then my <laughs> academic, which is what my family knew, and that was kind of the, the platform where i started learning about entrepreneurship then i got into money management i got into investing like you said i bought my first rental property when i was 19 actually i took the mcat the medical college admission test on august 22nd and august 23rd i closed on my first investment property it was a small condo that i bought for eight thousand dollars because this was at the bottom of the 2008 crash and that was when everything changed i was like i don't want to be a doctor I was going into medicine for all the wrong reasons because I assumed that that's how you become successful. That's how you make money. But I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I was doing it for the money, not because I loved it. And so that's when I kind of went on this journey of financial education, entrepreneurship, right? Just started a whole bunch of things, made a whole bunch of mistakes, learned. And then Minority Mindset now is my way of kind of teaching and talking about the things that I wish I knew when I was getting started.
0: So how did you just... did? How did you start, like, hey, I'm going to start Minority Mindset. At what point did that happen for you?
2: So Minority Mindset came a little while later. So I, I, I went from business to business. I, I started getting really deep into real estate. I did a, a number of different real estate things. I became a real estate agent. I started wholesaling real estate. I started some e-commerce companies. did some other businesses. And then I was working on a separate company. It was a sock company that I was working on. And I go to launch the company. And when I launched the company, I had hired a marketing company to help us do all of the marketing and PR work for our company. Anyways, the company turned out to be a scam. I gave them pretty much all of our marketing budget. They ran away, never heard from them again, and I had lost thousands of dollars and now I'm upset. Launched the company, we had an amazing launch. We we did just over $21,000 worth of pre-sales the first month. And now I was like, man, this is so, I mean, this, this sucks. Like, you know, I didn't go up with any sort of entrepreneurship education. I don't have any sort of financial education. So I went out onto Udemy and I created a class on this subject of how to launch a business without getting screwed over. And I did it under the alias minority mindset because you have to think differently than the majority of people. And... I didn't think much of it. I charged like seven bucks for it. It's not available anymore, but it was just more of a way for me to just put something out there so people didn't fall into the same scams and the same screw-ups that I did. And people really liked it. They were like, hey, breathe, this is really cool. Could you start a, a social media page? I was like, sure. And now I was, I was doing other things. I was busy with a whole bunch of other projects, uh, but I started an Instagram page under the name Minority Minds, set the same stuff, entrepreneurship stuff, financial education stuff. And then people would say, hey, this is so cool. Can you give us more in-depth content? Could you create a blog? And I was like, well, English is my second language. You're not gonna like my <laughs> writing. So no, I cannot start a blog, but I like talking. So I'll start a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel. And again, this was, this was, it's, it's weird that I say this because it's kind of funny, the transition that I made, but I started it as a hobby. I didn't really care about making money from Minority Mindset because I was busy doing other things. And I'm making videos, and one of my friends asks me, uh, hey, Jasper, how much money are you making from your videos? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, your ad revenue. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So he goes onto my YouTube channel with me. He's like, you know you can turn monetization on on your videos? I was like, you mean I can start making money off of these videos that I'm doing? He's like, yeah. So now all of a sudden, I I started making money, even though I didn't know that. And then Minority Minds started to grow. And that's when I made the transition of what do I want to focus on? Do I want to focus on, you know, this or minority mindset? And minority mindset wasn't really generating much money. But for me, that was where my passion lied. This was something that I really enjoyed. I could like full heartedly get behind because I mean, I love this stuff. It, It gets me angry seeing all the things that I had gone through, but never learned to think about money because at the end of the day, all of us are working to become financially successful. It doesn't matter what your career career is. Doesn't matter what your professional profession is. Every single person wants to become financially successful. And if you say, "Oh no, money doesn't matter," then ask your boss not to pay you. Right? I mean, every single person is trying to become financially successful, but none of us are taught this stuff. And so, I've always had that burning passion inside of me. So the idea that I could build a business and a real kind of thing out of this really excited me. So then I went towards minority mindset. and Now we're one of the fastest growing financial education and media companies on the internet.
0: Yeah, you guys have done an awesome job and your videos, they teach people so many things. And I think they're great and I think what you're doing is awesome. Um, I wanna read a quote that you said on an interview you did recently and I'm gonna ask you to kind of expand on that. Sure. If you, hey, if you follow what, the, you said this on the interview, If you follow what the majority of people do blindly, you are pretty much guaranteed to fail. The majority of people are broke. The majority of people hate their jobs and the majority of people are miserable and the majority of people are physically out of shape. If you keep doing what everybody else does, you're going to end up like the majority. It's hard breaking out of the majority. So what switched in your mind to do that? You kind of already told me that. But looking at that quote, I think that says a lot. And like, is that kind of where you drew the name from to get minority mindset and what shifted when you, how you talk about the majority and why we need to start thinking about the minority instead?
2: Sure. So yeah, you're exactly right. The minority mindset has nothing to do with the way you look, your ethnicity, or your skin color. It's the mindset of thinking differently than the majority of people. I feel like I always had this sort of minority mindset. I think I was kind of just born with it. Um... You know, when i saw how hard my parents were working i wanted to do something different so when i was a kid i started mowing my neighbor's lawns i started working at weddings and then i really started to develop this idea of the minority mindset when i went to college because i saw that the majority of people were blowing their money at parties and i was like instead of trying to be like the majority of people how about it be like the minority let me start hosting the parties and then same thing with money you know, when I was younger in high school and I was making this money, I was blowing it on, on dumb things. I was tricking out my Toyota. I was putting <laughs> rims on my new my Toyota. I, was, I put in subwoofers. I put HID lights in there. I put uh, a new sound system in there. I mean, I did everything to make my car look cool because I thought that's what I was supposed to do with my money. But then I started learning about money. And I was like, this is so stupid. I mean, is it, my car was a money pit. And so that's when I started investing my money, which is what the majority of people were not doing. And so I started taking my money. I started putting it into things like real estate. And so that was the whole idea behind the minority mindset. And everything that you said, these are just facts. 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. The majority of Americans hate their jobs. And it's not just Americans. The majority of people around the world don't like their jobs. Just look at what's happening right now with the Great Resignation. We are seeing the the fastest number of people voluntarily quit their jobs than ever before. Why? Because people are getting fed up. And this pandemic was a big wake-up call for a lot of people because people started to realize, I hate being abused by my company. I hate the way that my company treated me. And so we have all these, like the, this, if you just blindly do what the majority of people do, you're going to be just like everybody else. And in most cases, that's not what you want to be. And so that's what the minority mindset is trying to change. It's trying to open up the way that you think so that way you can think a little bit different because all success starts with your mindset. If you do not have the right mindset, if you have a broke mindset, if you have a victim mindset where you never think that you will have the opportunity to succeed, you will never be able to succeed. But you have to start developing the minority mindset. That way you can think bigger. Once you think bigger, you'll start to do bigger. Once you start to do bigger, you'll start to see bigger. But it all starts with your mindset.
0: I really love everything you just said. And clarifying to everyone, because I know when I first saw the title Minority Mindset, I did not know what that meant. And now to have you explain it to me, it actually makes perfect sense. And it's for everyone. And not just, you know, when you think the word minority, a lot of times people think that's a specific race or segment of people. And to know that it's not, that's not what you're saying when you say minority mindset. It is to think outside the majority, expand your mind, and to do things that will make you happy and ultimately make you money is basically what you were saying, right?
2: Exactly. You know, uh, to put it simply, we say that if you give the majority $200, they'll come back with a pair of shoes. If you give the minority $200, they'll come back with 2000 It's all about the way you think. <laughs> I love it.
0: You know, you talk on one of your videos about how there's specific investments people can make to be able to walk away from their job. Um, Can you tell me maybe your top three or four things that people should be investing their money or you think are safe places for people to invest their money?
2: Sure. So I don't like getting into financial advice. I can't tell people what to do, but what I can say is what I do. I invest my money in five places. I invest my money in real estate, stocks, businesses, Cryptocurrency and commodities like physical gold I invest in real estate because it provides Consistent and predictable cash flow And it also provides legal tax breaks I'm also an attorney When my parents found out that I wasn't going to be a doctor They were like, you have to at least go out and become an attorney And what I can tell you is that real estate provides Some of the biggest legal tax breaks that a tax code has to offer So I love real estate for that I invest in stocks because uh, I believe in the American economy um, and I believe in the growth in that and the stock market is a way for you to get exposure to that. There's a couple of different ways that you can invest in stocks and there's a couple of different ways that I invest in stocks. I invest in stocks on an active level and a passive level. Actively meaning I look for undervalued companies that I want to hold for the long term. Then I invest in them and I keep up to date with them. I, I stay up to date on their earnings calls and read their financials and do all of that. Then I also invest in ETFs, and this is a passive method. And the way that works is every week, I have some money that is automatically withdrawn from my account and is automatically, passively, consistently invested into a number of ETFs. So this happens without me touching it. This happens whether the market is up or down. doesn't matter. I'm just constantly just buying these ETFs every single week. Then I invest in businesses. For example, Minority Mindset is the business that I own. But I also invest in other startups. I'm an entrepreneur. I love working with entrepreneurs. An entrepreneur's job is to solve a problem. And I love working with entrepreneurs because like true entrepreneurs are problem solvers. They're not sitting there trying to get rich. What they're trying to do is they're trying to solve a problem and really solve this problem for a lot of people. And I love working with people with that mentality. And so one of the things that I do is I, I invest in these type of startups. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll work with them, either provide them capital or work with them on an advisory level to help startups grow. Now, this has become much more accessible for people thanks to the Internet and technology. But one thing you do need to be aware of is that investing in startups is very, very, very risky. Most startups will fail. Some of them will do nothing. And then some of them will succeed bigly. So just something you need to be aware of if you're investing in startups. Then I invest in cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency is the people's movement of money. People are, are losing trust in the Federal Reserve Bank. They're losing trust in the Treasury Department. And and was that's one of the reasons they're moving to things like Bitcoin. Um I own Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies, but it's it's a it's a new movement. It it's it's again risky. There's there's speculation behind it. You can see a lot of volatility up and yeah. down, but a lot of opportunity for the future. And then I also own commodities like physical gold as insurance because I could be wrong. If I'm wrong about everything, <laughs> that's where my gold comes in. It's, it's, it's real money. Gold is you know a store of value. It takes time, effort, and labor to mine an ounce of gold. And that time, effort, and labor is represented through the physical gold. So it's a store of value, and it's it's real money. And so I don't really care about what happens to the price of gold, whether it goes up or down. I look at it like real money, and it's a way to really save that money because our dollars can be diluted. The value of our dollars can be manipulated by the Federal Reserve Bank. And because of that, I want to protect my money by moving it to other assets. That kind
0: of takes us into inflation. I, I noticed that you know, every, that's on everybody's mind right now, we're all concerned and inflation <laughs> affects every one of those investments that you yeah. just spoke up. So what can people do to combat inflation? And can you just give us give me a little tip on that a couple tips for people that are listening? Yeah. And even what causes inflation? Are we going to we're going to see it go up? We're going to see it go down? Do you have any predictions on that? And then what can we do so that we don't lose our shirts out there?
2: yeah so uh inflation has been getting a lot of uh publicity now and but i think you really need to start by understanding what inflation actually is inflation comes from the word inflate so what are we inflating when we cause inflation everybody assumes that it means prices go up but that's not necessarily true inflation means you're inflating the monetary supply you're inflating the amount of dollars out there that's what inflation is now when that happens, when you inflate the monetary supply, you inflate the amount of money out there, what happens is the buying power of each individual dollar goes down. It's a devaluation of your currency. The buying power of your money goes down, the value of a dollar goes down, which in turn causes the price of things to go up. Now, sometimes you're going to see the price of things go down even if you have inflation. The reason might be you have more technological improvements in something. You have Uh, a better supply chain these things can cause the price of things to go down but if you didn't have inflation the price of these things would have gone down even further so inflation is when you have the increase in the monetary supply and the reason why it's been getting a lot of press recently is because people are starting to realize holy cow life is getting more expensive and what is causing that well you have supply chain issues and then you also have all the inflation the money printing that we saw happen in 2020 and 2021 uh, to combat the pandemic and so to kind of paint a picture of where we've been, in the early part of 2021, that's when inflation started to hit the headlines around April of 2021, because in April, that was when we had the highest inflation numbers since 2008. So that's when people started to get a little bit concerned. And that was when uh, the Federal Reserve Bank came out and they said, this inflation that we're seeing is high, but don't worry—it's transitory, meaning it's temporary. It will go away. They said that it would go away by the middle part of 2021, or maybe by the end of 2021. But you know that—that that was what they said. Here. Now we were, yeah,
0: we're at we're, 2021. It's going to be 2022 right away.
2: Yeah, and we, you know we were talking about this in 2020, like what the costs were going to be. But then in the middle part of 2021, uh, what happened? We actually saw inflation cool down. And that's when the Fed said, I told you so. This inflation is getting better. But then in August, inflation started to pick back up. September, inflation really started to pick back up. And in October, that's when crap hit the fan. That's when we saw the highest inflation numbers in over three decades, in over 30 years. And then in the early part of November, the Federal Reserve Bank came out again. And that's when they started really reinforcing the idea of Inflation is transitory, is temporary. Don't worry, it's going to go away. Now, if that was the case, if it was true that inflation was going to go away and the prices of things were going to drop back down to what they were in 2020 and 2019 in 2022 or maybe in 2023, uh, why are we seeing a permanent increase in Social Security payouts? And why is it that the Heinz CEO has come out and said that these higher prices are not transitory, They are permanent, so get used to higher prices. So unless we really start to decrease the monetary supply, which doesn't look like it's going to happen because we have a lot of new spending coming, we have new infrastructure packages that are in the works, we have extremely low interest rates, which also contribute to high inflation, we're not doing anything to counteract it. The Fed is saying, oh, we're starting to taper uh, these asset purchases. First off, it took forever to do that, and why don't they just turn it off completely? I mean, it's, it's they say that inflation is an issue, and then they say inflation is transitory, and then they're saying it's nothing to worry about, and then they're saying we're doing what we need to do to take care of it, but at the same time, you have a lot of people that are starting to get concerned. Uh, you have countries around the world, you have institutions around the world that are starting to signal Kind of your red flag saying, hey, start to care about this. Bill Ackman did a, a interesting presentation with the Federal Reserve Bank, essentially saying you need to raise interest rates right now because the rest of the world is watching what the United States is doing, and if we don't take care of it soon, it's going to be much harder for us to fight it later. Because if we you know, the best way to understand what's going on is just to look back in time. The last time we saw a super high period of inflation was in the '70s. It was a period of stagflation, and what stagflation is is when you see high unemployment. And high inflation. Kind of like what we're seeing now, but the Fed and the government will will continually say that we're not in a period of stagflation. But what happened after the 70s was we were seeing a real dollar crisis. And now, in order to combat this dollar crisis in the 70s, the Fed had to ramp up interest rates in the early 80s. That's why if you wanted to go out and get a mortgage in the early part of the 1980s, it was going to cost you 18 and a half percent 18 and a half percent why because they needed oh to tighten goodness. the monetary supply and so the reason why the fed cannot come out and say oh my god inflation is not transitory inflation is a real thing it's going to stay high we're not going to see prices go back down it's because people would panic and that would also mean that they would have to start fighting inflation. How do you fight inflation? Well, you got to have, you got to raise interest rates. If they came out and did that, what's going to happen? You're going to see the stock market go down. You're going to see the real estate market go down and no administration wants to see that happen under their watch. And so what they're hoping is we can just continue to produce this cheap money. We can continue to produce, produce this cheap debt. We can t- continue to print free money and hope that our economy is going to grow fast enough. And so if it works, Sure, you know, we're going to see a stabilization in our economy, but inflation isn't just going to go away. I mean, we have higher prices of goods. What is going to incentivize a company to lower the prices? Because if you look at it, there's two different inflations. You have the CPI, which is what everybody looks at, the consumer price index. This is the price of our products. Um, Although this isn't a very accurate depiction of what inflation is, let's just go with that for now. Our CPI is actually not as high as the producer inflation. So what that means is companies are seeing inflation on their raw products, but they're not raising the prices as much as the expenses that they're having to pay. Yeah, you're seeing companies raise their prices, and you're seeing some companies trying not to because they're hoping that it's transitory, but they're starting to raise it, but they haven't raised it to the point to how much their costs have gone up. And so, I mean, we, how do you fight inflation? You gotta tighten the monetary supply. Is inflation gonna go away? Probably not. Uh, is it gonna cool down? Probably, hopefully. I mean, if we start to raise interest rates a little bit, if we start to grow our economy, we can start to see inflation cool down. But to see the prices of products just drastically drop to what they were a couple of years ago, the likelihood of that happening isn't very high. But this is where you have to be a little bit concerned. Now, I don't want you to be scared, but you should be worried uh, because what is inflation doing? It was eroding the buying power of your savings. So the people that are getting hurt the most by inflation are the people that are not financially educated because inflation benefits the wealthy, inflation benefits the financially educated, but hurts the person who doesn't understand it because inflation is a tax because now, When the government spends money that they don't have what do they do well they can raise taxes if they raise taxes on the rich then you know who's paying the taxes it's the rich that now have to pay a higher tax bill who's paying for their spending but if they don't raise taxes and they continue spending somebody has to cover that cost and the way that they cover that is through inflation so who covers the cost of inflation the average person because now when you go buy your groceries it's going to cost you more when you go on a vacation, it's going to cost you more. When you want to pay for your health care, it's going to cost you more. And so, this is one why it's so important for you to get financially educated. Because if you're not, you're the person that's paying the price of inflation. Because the wealthy are seeing the prices of their assets go up. Well, the average person is getting a salary which isn't keeping up with inflation. Maybe you get a three percent raise, a four percent raise, a five percent raise. Still isn't enough to keep up with inflation. And so, you you might feel like you're getting wealthier because you got a little raise. But guess what? it's still not enough to keep up. Home prices have gone up 20% in the last year. Rent prices have gone up by over 12%. And so this is where now, what do you do with your money? Well, you can start to buy assets, things that I just talked about. But then the worry is, well, what if I'm buying at the peak? Because prices are are so high. Stock prices are high. Real estate prices are so high. And so people are worried and they don't want to just dump their money in there. Well, then you can look at inflationary hedges. These inflationary hedges if you're worried about a market crash, are ways for you to now protect the value of your money. So this would be something like physical gold. Physical gold, again, is a store of value. And the whole idea behind that is if you see more inflation, the value of gold goes up. This is where you can also move your money into something like a stable coin, which is a cryptocurrency, pegged to the value of the US dollar. So one stable coin is one US dollar. But then if you move some of these stable coins into an interest bearing account, you can earn eight or nine percent a year on your stable coins and just convert them back to dollars. So if I have a hundred US dollars, a hundred dollars in my bank account, and I use this to buy a hundred stable coins, now I have a hundred stable coins, then I can put this into an interest bearing account, kind of like a bank, but it's not a bank because it's not FDIC insured. So there are risks associated with this. Yeah, risks of, you know, counterparty risks, someone not paying back and all that. Just kind of mm-hmm. like how banks used to have the same issues but you also get compensated with the higher interest and so i've moved a big chunk of my savings into these stable coins where i'm earning eight nine percent a year in interest i move some of my money into physical gold and i also have money going into stocks every week etfs because you know if market goes up great if it goes down i'll buy more Uh i'm also still buying real estate i'm just being pickier than i was before so, so that's what you do. Cause,
0: well, because if you are, say, I'm a person right now, <clears throat> sorry, um, that's reti- I'm going to retire and I'm worried that my money that I have right now isn't going to be enough. What what should they do? I mean, should you mention some things there, but say someone they're on a fixed income, it's not going to go up. I have Social Security. I have some, my savings. I mean, what are some things that these people can do?
2: Again, you know, I I can't give advice that gets me into legal trouble, but what I can say is what I do. Right? I am still investing my money. I'm still investing my money in stocks. I'm still investing my money in real estate. I'm still investing my money in startups. I'm still looking for opportunities, but I am being pickier than ever. So let me give an example with real estate. Um, I was in Austin. I think I'm where we met in Austin. Yeah, we
0: met in Austin. Uh, we were at FinCon. That's where yes. we met. So you were looking at real estate where we were there, I huh? was.
2: I was looking at real estate when but I was there. But that's a high
0: market, isn't it? It there, is. not it its right in Houston. It's going up. Tons of it, people from California are moving there.
2: It, yes. And the interesting thing is some of the properties there are being sold at a one cap or one and a half cap, which means it is a 1% return on your money. So if I bought a million dollar property I'm going to get a 1% return, a $10,000 profit a year. And the reason why they're selling it at these prices, which is very, very high, is because they're saying that uh, we can justify these prices because we assume that we're going to see the prices of rent grow by 5 to 10% a year, year after year after year. So they're saying is don't value the property based off of how much money it's making today. Value the property based off of how much money it's going to make in three years, assuming that rents only go up by 5 to 10% a year. And that scares me. That's speculation. I don't like speculating because maybe it'll be right, maybe it'll be wrong. I can't predict the future. I have no way of doing that. I don't like trying to do that because I could be wrong. And so when I invest in real estate, what I do is I'm looking not for future prices. I'm looking at what are today's prices. How much money do I have to invest today? What is the return that I'm going to get today? And is that return good? Because I always... I'm worried about things slowing down. You know, am I scared about it? No, but I'm always worried about it. So I'm always going to keep that in the back of my mind. So now when I'm investing in properties, I always want to have a cushion. So I'm looking for a minimum 7% return. So if I invest $1,000, I want to make $70 of profit a year. And what that allows me to do is if something bad happens, if the economy slows down, I have room to lower rents. If I lower rents, now I'm not paying out of my pocket to keep the properties. So I'm looking for that type of cushion. Same with stocks. You know, I, I, I'm investing, like I said, every week into ETFs. So this happens every week, whether the market's up or down. If the market goes down, I'll just come in and buy more. But when I'm actively investing, I'm being pickier than ever. I want to make sure that the deals that I'm investing in make sense. There's a lot of insane valuations out there. I don't want to chase. And you have to be willing to be patient. And that's hard because now it's like, Oh, I got some money to invest what do I do oh my god everybody's making all this money off of whatever stock should I just throw my money in there no you got to be patient wait for things to come down to evaluation that you can wrap your head around and you know so you just need to know your strategy it's the same with startups you know this it's the same concept all around where you don't want to be chasing you don't want to get emotional you want to be patient but if you have a passive strategy where you're gonna invest every day or every week, just let that happen and be consistent with that. And then on the other side to protect, I have a protectionary method where I have you know some money in physical gold, and then I have moved a big chunk of my savings into these stable coins. That way, at least I can earn some interest while I'm looking for a place to invest.
0: I hope you're enjoying the interview with Jaspreet Singh. We'll finish our conversation in an upcoming episode. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you go, we'd love for you to subscribe to our show to catch all of our updates. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your burning questions about money and how to live your best life? Reach us at LiveRicherPod at GoBankingRates.com.